This is For Advisors by Advisors. I'm your host, Evan J. Mayer, and today we have a very special guest in Mark Gilbert. Love your audience. Yeah, that's your audience. They're here for you. How you doing, Mark? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm great. Mark is the co-founder and CEO of Zox. Before that, he spent three years at Twilio seven years at Hearsay Systems and 13 years prior at Microsoft before reaching the rank of Chief Technology Officer at Hearsay. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. It's good to be here. Yeah, I got your information from one of my colleagues here who was chatting to you about Zox and you had an interesting past. And I know one of the reasons I was really excited to have you on the show was Hearsay was something we started using years ago at SunTrust and it's evolved significantly during that time and you being in charge at that time, it'd be interesting to hear about how that's transpired. But before we get started there, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started in the business and a little bit about your history. Yeah, so I am Canadian. I grew up all over Canada, born far out east, ended up going to a university called Waterloo, which is a kind of a large technology university there. I'm in San Francisco now, and so there's quite a few of us around here, I'll just say, in the Bay Area. And uh, through that, you end up working at a variety of different companies. I was in electrical engineering, and so basically hopped into software. I started writing software when I was quite young, and uh, through a variety of other companies, ended up at Microsoft, and uh, essentially, like from a professional point of view, grew up there, doing a lot of different things, some consumer and a lot of mobile, but a lot of enterprise software as well, which was a little surprising to me. That's exciting, because you look at the future as we get into hearsay and things like that whole area of how do you enable people like you to use new technologies in a way, because in a lot of situations, there are certain things you can't really use is super interesting for me. So yeah, that's essentially where I was. We were in Seattle for quite a while. My wife's also Canadian. We lived in Germany for a few years at Microsoft. We actually lived in Shanghai for a few years and then came down to the Bay Area in San Francisco, and, a and number that, of different spots. And that's where Hearsay was in San Francisco? Yeah. So Hearsay's headquarters is in San Francisco. It's now, I would say, spread out in a number of areas. They have a number of people in Europe. Then a number of people in Seattle when we were there. And the founders at that point, Steve Garrity and, and Clara Shai, I know Steve quite well. He actually worked with me at Microsoft and then came down. Clara's a really impressive person, if you've ever met her, and just got really excited about what they were doing and um, came down, to, moved down to San Francisco and started building out the company with them. Excellent. And you were there for quite a while, made it all the way up to the rank of chief technology officer. Then you left for Twilio. And what did you do at Twilio? Yeah. So for those who don't know, like in the tech space, Twilio is well known for others that may not be. Twilio essentially is like a lot of the underlying communication. It's called communication platform as a service for a lot of different services. So if you ever call an Uber, get a text message for them, talk to an Uber driver, that's all Twilio, Airbnb, all of that stuff. At Twilio, I actually ran one of the areas, which was a set of businesses called the super network. So essentially everything that was connected into the telephony providers uh, all the messaging and voice businesses ran on that. It was a fairly large organization. And Twilio, also based in San Francisco, was growing very quickly at the time. It was probably a doubling to a little bit more people-wise and close to that revenue-wise every year. So it was, a, no it was chaos, yeah, quite exciting. Growth, growth on the company. Yeah. Yeah. So it, great, honestly, really great people. Jeff, the founder there, is really smart and just interesting and learned a ton there as well. And then they were also, and still are getting more and more into banking, financial services and stuff like that. Underneath, they really started off more targeting kind of startups using their services. I had the enterprise team and a few other things like that as well there. And then Zox. So tell us a little bit about Zox. What are you guys up to? 
Yeah. So we started the company last year. We're still actually building in stealth. Well, that's something that Silicon Valley companies do. We're not honestly particularly stealthy. Uh, but essentially, we're we're building what we view as an intelligent communication layer. For This is actually exactly why I got connected with you and some of your team. There's a number of things that we can do now from communications, like from kind of real-time discussions that you're having with clients, everything like that. And our view is like, <clears throat> what's happening today is that people have these discussions, and then they come out and they have to go do a bunch of work after and do all these different things. There's been so many improvements in the last three or four years. You're seeing some of this even in the consumer space and like machine learning, large language models, and what was broadly dubbed as AI, that we have a system essentially that can actively start getting facts from you out of these conversations and ideally start doing things for you. So that our goal specifically in financial services is really to let advisors spend more time with their clients and ultimately be able to manage a larger set of households really well and retain the clients better with that. Because I'm sure you, you've seen this and you've lived this, but people talk with clients, then they talk with other clients, then sometime between 6 p.m. and midnight, they're supposed to write everything up and get it going and give it to any staff they have, and then they repeat it the next day. So the more and more we can automatically drive that for them based on the conversation that they're having, that's really our goal. So we're, we're starting to actually onboard just our early adopter program now with some people and we're hoping to launch later this year. And we're super excited. The people we've talked with who have seen it are, you know, basically, hey, if this can do this, like it'll just save us tons of time and really change the way that we operate. So that's as a product builder, that's always exciting to hear. Is the focus on financial advisors and specifically, is that your target audience at this point? We have, so we're a general platform that can use in, in a variety of spots, but the platform is set up for organized, like basically very high security and privacy use cases. And a lot of your people know this as they started companies, but when you start a company, especially in the tech space, you really want to focus on an area. So the big areas for us right now are actually yeah, financial advisor, financial planning, expanding through the financial organization over time, because there's a lot of these very high value conversations going on. Yep. And then the other one actually for us that we're getting a reasonable amount of use on is, is actually medical and therapy as well. Again, very high security, very like expensive professionals having a lot of conversations and just going from one to one, but financial advisors are a huge focus for us right now. Exciting. Yeah. Sounds exciting. I, I look forward to seeing some demos and what the actual platform is going to look like. Just, let's take a step back though, regarding hearsay, because in our business, it's ever evolving and technology, unfortunately, is something that you know, FINRA and the licensing bodies are somewhat scared of. And they're scared of it in the concept that they're not sure on how they're able to monitor things and how firms are going to be able to monitor things appropriately so that clients are protected. Because at the end of the day, I think there's a lot of laws and there's a lot of protections in place that are put into place by the governing. And at the end of the day, the goal is to protect the consumer. But what it can do and what it what often I think it does is it stops the ability from advisors to be able to share information that would be viable in a quick and efficient manner while firms are able to, to do that. Now, Hearsay came out. I remember using Hearsay. I believe it was at SunTrust when we started using Hearsay. And in the beginning, no offense, it was a little dinky. <laughs> but you weren't able to do a whole lot with it, but it's ever evolved into pretty much most of the firms are using that. And at the current firm I'm in now, they use it, but they use it under their own moniker or yeah. their, their overlay system. Talk a little bit about like what Hearsay was doing and what it was doing during your time there. I know you've been gone for a little bit, but the concept of the software and the product and how it's supposed to be enhancing advisors' ability to communicate. Yeah, so Hearsay started off very much with a focus on 
social media and really letting advisors get onto it in a what we would call a safe way. And I think one of the challenges that you have in any technology, especially client-facing in this industry, is that there's this continual balance that you mentioned, right? Where it's like people want to do things and you want to enable them to do things. But then there's this like supervision and kind of compliance arm that is always there, like counterbalancing. And the goal of Hearsay initially was really around kind of social media and getting voice out. And what happened is more and more people got on is we started to learn a lot of lessons. Like one is, you know, some people are really good at speaking on social media. Other people are a little bit more nervous or unsure of what they can say because of regulations. And so that's where things like the content library and the, like what is now turned into a fairly advanced content system really got built out. But I would say one of the other kind of magics of hearsay is that it continually was bringing up the other side as well. So as we look at compliance from that point of view, there's typically compliance officers that are setting policy and saying what's allowed or not. In a larger firm, there's also a number of supervision people essentially that are essentially making sure that the right things are going on. And honestly, the tooling and technology that they had was not great when hearsay came out. And that's yeah. been one of, I would say, almost like magic secret sauces is that it can really get them to be highly efficient using, again, things like machine learning and pattern detection and all that to look for problems without having to get everything kind of reviewed or just randomly spot checked. And that's been like both, honestly, attention inside the company all the time. If you want to let people do new things, but you want to make sure it's safe. And when you're building technology, it just requires you to build a little bit more on both sides. And I think like they've done a good job of that. But it, as I said, it, it's turned into essentially one of their superpowers, if you will, because it's a much more efficient system to use in a lot of cases than other ones, ideally for you, but also for kind of like the home office or corporate. And is the home office or in corporate, they're obviously seeing this stuff on hearsay and reviewing it, but are there patterns or certain things that are behind the software that are helping compliance that we don't see as advisors? Yeah, absolutely. So there's certain things that it looks for, companies set up policies around that, what things that they're more or less sensitive to. Some of hearsay's customers are more kind of like series six insurance oriented. Some are a lot or I'd say most are actually kind of like series seven and FA. Um, and so even there, the policies change up and then it intelligently also looks through things, but it, it essentially is intelligent looking through things. So as an example, if a set of communications were deemed to be problematic, it will start to look, it'll adjust itself and start to look for those and warn about those more aggressively as well. And their goal is really to get to essentially allow the technology to communicate with clients. And you can see that almost since the start of the company, right? It's really about like genuine relationships and strengthening that. And ideally we believe then, and I know the company still does, that we can do that in a way that'll like while handling the compliance without ideally it getting in the way in any way. And so that's its, its continual mission. And it started, I don't know how much you've, it sounds like you're still using it now, which is great, but it started to get, you know, additional digital channels and all these other things. Cause what we're seeing is advisors really just want to work with clients and frankly, clients want to talk with you and communicate on whatever channel is convenient. Yeah. I use it on a lot on LinkedIn when it, when it does have those libraries, but one of the things that I've at least believe I understand is that there, the algorithms on LinkedIn and the ability to get people to see things, some of that standardized content basically is outside of those algorithms where you're not getting the same traction that you would get by bringing original content. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, like the way I would describe it is we view it, or I should say we view it as tiers, right? So you have some people who don't really know what to do. And I'm sure as you started social media, there's probably some nervousness you had around what should I say, what should I not so you have what we think of as like library content that comes out. Some firms allow some of that content to be edited, you know, and that allows you to put a bit of a personal voice on it. But still, 
Um, like a lot of the risk for those who don't know on the compliance side is actually with the articles that are in those things, right? Does that article recommend something? Does it mention certain firms, certain products, stuff like that? That's where yeah. a lot of the concern comes. So like generally people are more comfortable if that, I'll say if that URL is, or article is approved to go in and allow you to maybe customize the message on it. And then I would say across all the social media networks though, like no matter what kind of genuine unique content will over time just do better because that's what they're looking for like that like the like literally the algorithms in linkedin and facebook's no yeah yeah that. and that brings Started me to my, that brings me to another point video is now the way to go from what i see like yeah. if, you're doing, if you're doing video content you're going to see a lot more activity hearsay from what i know uh, doesn't have access to doing the video part yet or at least the platforms i'm on don't have that, maybe that's an additional cost and I'm not aware of that. Am I wrong in that or is the video, you know, is that still something that needs to get worked on more? Yeah, I like, I actually don't know where hearsay is right now. A lot of this has changed since I left. I would say when I was leaving, so first of all, what your initial statement is very correct, right? Like video matters more and more. I think anyone's of children watch what they do. And it's all video and it's all snippets of video too, right? It's not long form. And I know when we were leaving, that was definitely something that was coming up that was looking at, and certain platforms had different support for it at that time. Like typically the more consumer oriented, like Facebook and stuff would have more support earlier. I actually don't know where hearsay is right now and whether that's something that the firm that you're is, is limiting a bit or that they have those capabilities. Um, LinkedIn just, it's a great, it's a great network for a whole bunch of reasons, but they are typically slower in opening up kind of the hooks for those things that you would need to go do it. So my guess is there's, if it's not there, that's actually probably where the limitation is. Got it. But I know just given hearsay, I'll say vision and direction, their goal is really to allow you to engage with clients wherever the clients want to be engaged, right? In, in a way that's safe. And like video is a natural way to do that. And I'd be surprised if it wasn't something they were tracking very, very closely. So yeah, yeah, you'll see more and more of it on yeah, I hope that's in the works. If it's not in the works, a little shout out to get it in the works. <laughs> yeah, I'll nudge some people and see. And see, we have a number of friends are still. So yeah. Well, it's funny. Some of the firms that don't use hearsay allow for posts and then re-editing of those posts later. And I, I don't know how they're tracking that technology. Like LPL is an example. Is probably I see their advisors out there posting videos pretty easily. And I'm wondering if the firm has a better technology that they're using that is that is tracking these videos or, or do they have a different version of hearsay that we're, we don't know of? I don't believe that's the case, but I believe they're able to post directly to the like LinkedIn network. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few different things that people have done there. Like, honestly, when we started, like when I got to hearsay, it was already a few years in, we had a lot of people like we're literally printing out things, right? Like they would go to your LinkedIn page and print it out and put it in a file cabinet. So yep. and that was the record. And as funny as that sounds, like we know that's still going on in the industry in some spots where like they're just screenshotting stuff, everything else. That's where video becomes very complicated too, right? Because a screenshot of a video doesn't really help. And then there is a set of technologies like getting back to the supervision side that can make that a lot more efficient, right? What is the transcript of the video? Is there anything in that transcript that's problematic? Yeah. Those types of things, these are like some of the technologies we're working on for different scenarios now. And because uh, it, it's very hard, I think, for supervision teams to watch whatever 20 hours of video or 30 hours of video that advisors are posting and just seeing it all like you essentially just the way that works, there needs to be some automation in it. But yeah, I don't know what they are. A lot of them also will do that and then pull it down an archive or may have patterns where they say, hey, if you email or share this video to this year, drop it, they'll try to record it. But it is like what I saw very clearly in hearsay is like the uptake of those things 
just gets drastically better once you have them integrated with the tools and like the, the systems at the firm and just what they're doing, because it's really hard if you're doing all these manual steps to get things working. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the future. And the future is now uh, by a lot of components. I, I started to get into ChatGPT, how to use it. I've been using it on basic stuff like emails and yeah. on, on how to structure things. And now we're working on things like Descript and using avatars and coming up with our own picture carousels and things that are not so cookie cutter and just unique and fun. And it's, it's a fun avenue to explore. When does the, the AI boom is here? Or we're in the- We're definitely seeing it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's gonna start exploding is my idea, but how is FINRA and these monitoring firms such as Hearsay or even yours or even Zox or, CR yeah. or Salesforce, how are they going to get a hold of this and start allowing this to become extremely user-friendly, easy, and trackable at the same time? Yeah, so I would say for anyone who's used OpenAI's work, like ChatGPT and those, there's a few other ones too, like Claude and Google has quite a lot of stuff now, as does Salesforce. It's pretty impressive. Like I think when you first use that, it's almost like a little bit mind-blowing, right? On how is it coming up with these things? How is it doing this? And I think what we're seeing out of it, and we're like behind the scenes, those technologies are everyone is in a race to essentially get them to really accelerate the products. And like we are as well, right? As I talk about like understanding conversations and pulling meeting out so that you can focus on clients. A lot of that is using a, a similar underlying technology base. But I would say what we're still seeing missing a little bit, and this is where, and I think this will happen probably quicker than most people think it will. It's a really good interface. You mentioned like doing avatars and stuff, right? Like things that I may not be able to do, like I'm horrible at graphic design as an example it's empowered me with this superpower, right? I can say, give me a picture of a bowl with Evan on it. Give me a picture of this or this and things that I would never know how to do. And so that interface is very powerful. Its ability to generate text, I think we're seeing in different situations are useful or not. Like as an example, I don't know if you've been using it for like copying and marketing, but like typically I would say people are very refined about what they want to put into those, like people whose job it is to write things, you know, look at every, as you probably know, and it's still, it's, it definitely gets what we call the blank page problem where I don't know where to start, but like people are typically refining quite a lot. And then the other big thing in businesses, which is where we're spending a lot of our time is like business systems fundamentally want structured data and they want predictability, right? So they don't want something that like where the same input gives you a different output five different times. That kind of scares, scares a lot of people. And as you look at supervision and stuff like that as well, it's essentially like a non-definitive system, which would get people worried. So I think what you're going to see is it's starting to get applied more and more. Like you're starting to see this already, right? In some of the other areas in finance where it's analyzing legal documents, anal analyzing estate forms and contracts and agreements, analyzing tax returns, things like that. It'll start to extract that data out. In our situation, we're trying to do that with real time, like deep communication and get the data out there. Salesforce, ironically, or I don't know if ironically is the right word, but Clara Shai, who's one of the founders at Hearsay actually runs, she's now the CEO of AI at Salesforce. And the stuff they're doing is really impressive. Like they are basically trying to take that and get it into the system. Some of it around generative and creating and a lot of it around just understanding what's going on. I think for us in the software space, it allows us to just see things that were just very hard to understand before, right? There was like structured things you do with the computer and then there was like humans. So I think it's going to come in really quickly. And then to answer your other question, like on the, like I'd say the FINRA and the SEC, it's going to definitely keep them busy, but at the fundamentals, right? Like they really want to understand customer communication. I think people are going to be nervous about having something auto-generate a lot of customer communication that isn't reviewed for obvious reasons. 
everything that we're doing. And I think it's here, say, looks at that and Salesforce, I don't know specifically what their plans are. They're going to start using it more and more to both help like supervision and stuff like that, because its ability to understand is better, yeah. as well as just make your life simpler by, by giving you either like tips, recommendations to get going, anything to get going that you can see and do. But I like, I know this sounds, and I'm in tech, so I'll just say I'm biased with this, <laughs> but I think literally the shift, like people have compared the shift to AI as like the shift to mobile and stuff. And honestly, I think it's almost the difference between pre-software and post-software, right? If you yeah. think of running the business that you have now with paper books, and then you think of doing it how you do it today, it's completely different. And I think three to five years from now, you'll see it completely change. It'll take a while through to get through all the tentacles, but the rate of change is truly. Yeah. The wrong. carbon paper with the yellow and pink slips don't happen anymore. So it's totally. Uh, yeah. And you'll, it's a normal <laughs> pattern that we'll see. We'll see it kind of mimic day to day. Like, so in our world, right? Like yeah. the first thing is try to like almost mimic your workflow after you talk with a client to make that better. But ultimately there's a set of things that we could do for you, right? If you're like, Hey, I know that I need to open a 529 for this person. There's no reason that workflow couldn't get kicked off. And some of it filled in already from it. Right. And you'll start to jump from like, the conversation. Yeah, exactly. Like you can just start to see there's this, I don't know if you've heard this, but there's this analogy, like when power came into like a, you know, electricity came into a, to a factory, it used to be that there was all steam engines and all of the factory was set up around the power supply in the middle of the factory based yep. on who, which machine needed the most power. Electricity came in, it replaced that thing, the steam with electricity. But then over time, what happened is the factory then got laid out completely differently in order of start to finish of assembling. And the reason is that power can now move freely anywhere. And I think you'll actually start to see the same thing where it's there's certain things we even do today in software that are honestly done that way because they were done that way on paper. And it's just like an automated paper yep. trail, if you will. Uh, and you'll start to see it just shift out and run. So we're like, we're really- You're excited. saying like more or less, I'd be on the- on a Zoom with you as an example, wearing a headset or not and saying, hey, a 529 plan makes sense. The, the computer's already sensing that we're going to go that direction and creating that. And by by the information, it probably can do background checks on you and just say, hey, Mark, does all this data look correctly on the screen? Yes, it, it all looks good. Hit it, and now you have a brand new account by literally doing nothing. That's it. That's it. And we can even overlay that with a lot of existing things, right? So you can say, I have two kids planning for college. So what does that look like? Whether that needs to go to like even a DocuSign or like some sort of like e-signature to go out, like that can get filled in. And then ideally when you get off a call, either on the call or as you get off the call, you just scan and be like, yep. And here's all the information we can find about Mark. Maybe there's two pieces of info missing for that account or not, but like all of that goes in to the point where it can just shoot it off or ask you for one or two things. And or even doesn't, like, or doesn't even need, doesn't even need to at that point, Mark just says, is yep. this information correct? Yes. Do you want to sign? That's it. Yes. Off it goes. And, and, and then imagine walking out of a meeting where you just kind of walk into the next one. And like the things are already in motion. That's a huge. Yeah. It's huge crazy. Improvement. It's actually crazy. If you think about it, it's amazing. It's scary. And it's funny as we get older, Mark, we get scared of this stuff and you, you got, everybody's worried about getting replaced. I'm actually, I'm never f fearing worried about getting replaced. I'm just like, what step does it go to next? That is overboard. Where does it go? And a guy in tech, like yourself, like you said, it's all, it's a race for all your companies. Like you're all trying to figure out how yeah. to get this out. Regarding your company, you came from these big conglomerates, you learned a lot, you make connections. I think one of the biggest things about living where you live, whether you like living there or not, based upon everything going on, but is the technology is that, I mean, that's, this is the mega center of where it is. And so your connections were good. Did it just perfectly make sense that, hey, I've worked for all these companies, I've taken all these leadership roles. Now it's my time. I'm coming out with Zox. 
Yeah, for me, there's really two things. Like I've always, it's a little funny as you look at my background, right? Because to your point, I've spent some time at some very big companies like Microsoft's not small, but I knew I always wanted to start something. And so I got like in, in tech, in a lot of our, these roles, right? You can do them for two, three years and you can actually look at, do I go take another big role? What do I go do? And I hit the last stage and in a great way, we've had a lot of support from previous mentors, investors, things like that, that have been like, makes it honestly a lot easier to go make these decisions and go. And I just was like, I'm, I'm probably a little older than you are, Evan. And I just look at it and was like, do I want, like, these are big commitments as everyone knows to start companies, start any business. Yeah. And it's not a couple of year thing. And you're like, okay, if I want to go do this, like now is a great time to go do it. And I think every time is there's always good and bad. We went into a pretty horrible economy, right? As we were doing it um, on the positive, like it, that allows us to zoom in and make sure that we're adding value really well. I think two, three years ago, you could ask people and people were willing to try anything just because, and now people are getting a lot more realistic, but yeah, it's uh, the connections are have been super helpful. The mentor network has been super helpful. That uh, that is, I'll say, I think you can do a lot of that virtually today. But definitely, having lived in the Bay Area for a long time, it doesn't hurt. And yeah, it was just a decision that like now's now's the time to roll and get it going. And even with all that, I'll say it's still, you know, there are days where it is scary as anything. And you can say that you have all these experience at big companies, but you know, like you know, when you're out there and just trying to and needing to make things work without large staffs and everything else. Like I think my organization was probably about like 400, 400 and 500 people when I left Twilio. It's pretty different when you're, on, when you're on your own and chatting with people, but it's fun. For me, like you, these things always change. My kind of North Star is, am I learning, right? Am I learning and doing things? And I get very nervous if I feel like I'm just doing the same thing and not learning something new and definitely passes that test with flying colors. So far, so good. Absolutely. We look forward to the future success of it. it everything looks phenomenal i did check out the website you're not sharing too much yet so we're trying we actually have a big website update coming out in the next week or two but i would say like, if anybody's interested in learning more even trying out the stuff as we're going early there's a spot on the website to leave your email address but also you can just mail me at mark mark at zox.io so m-a-r-k at z-o-c-k-s.io and happy to chat and happy to get some early users and get your feedback as well from anyone Excellent. Yeah. The users can get a hold of you by the email address you just left. Go ahead and leave you any LinkedIn or website information or any other ways to get in contact with you. Yeah. So Mark Gilbert on LinkedIn, that's probably the most active for me. I know I don't post a ton there, but I'm like reacting to stuff all the time and commenting and messaging there. And then Mark E. Gilbert on Twitter as well, which is starting to warm up more for me. So those are probably the big three ways, email, LinkedIn, and Twitter to get me. Excellent. So I'd love to have you back on once you're officially launched and going, because I think that'll be a really neat conversation. And I can't wait to see what happens with you in the future. And I can't wait to see what happens with our business in the future. I think it's some interesting stuff down the road. Yeah, super interesting time. Thanks again, Evan, for having me on today. I really appreciate it and excited to give you a demo once we're, uh, once we're at that place and hopefully get some exciting reactions from you. Absolutely. Thanks again, Mark. Hope everybody enjoyed today. Subscribe if you haven't already, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks so much.